Last One to the Party, the podcast where we check in with someone who's checking out a classic film, long-running TV show, or legendary performer for the very first time. Welcome to part two of Last One to the Party, part two of Seinfeld with DeHaley Hall and Jessica Eason. They both uh, now dive a little bit deeper into specifics of Seinfeld episodes as well as other sitcoms. The key word still is tight. We discover a growing appreciation for some things that we wouldn't have expected. We get to answer the question, who is Danny Hawk? We explore the New York reality of Seinfeld. Lots of praise for a particular guest star of Seinfeld. And we get to hear about sitcoms they both like a little bit better and would probably watch more often. Also, what's the deal with Jerry and bees? We also find out how jazz gives you the secret to marriage. And this isn't part of the podcast. It dawned on me that when the series was ending, they were compared to something like the Beatles. And if that's the case, if Seinfeld equals the Beatles, then Kramer is Paul. Elaine is John. George is George. And that makes Jerry Ringo. Let's get right to part two of Seinfeld with DeHaley Hall and Jessica Eason. On the Elaine thing that you were talking about earlier, DeHaley, in later episodes, they partnered her up with a character, Putty. God, I'm blanking on the actor's name. Patrick Warburton, I looked it up. But he is a mechanic who is portrayed in the show as being dumb. And they call out the fact that on many episodes, there's just a line here or there where she says, what am I doing with you idiots? And so she's she becomes self-aware that she is drowning. And I think there's also an episode where she finds the bizarro version of Jerry's little troika of guys, but they're like well-adjusted and ambitious. And she gets in with them, but they pull her back. And she has that moment of, I'm losing my mind. I'm doing the exact wrong thing. Oh, I have to, you have to tell me what episode is. I need to see that. Yeah, her guys are also pretty flat too. Like in general, they're just there for like the for the jokes. Um, yeah. So the first one we watched was the Chinese restaurant, and the second one on the list was the subway. Any other yeah. thoughts on the subway, Dahili? I thought that was so interesting. Like I kept thinking, this is so. I don't know if you felt like I was like a lesbian wedding, but the marriage act didn't happen until later. Like I just, I just kept thinking like we didn't have um we weren't legal until later like it didn't happen in the 90s but yeah i kind of um, wanted her elaine to be more like not ashamed of going to a lesbian yes wife. i agree but i don't think that that was elaine then i think elaine of the later episodes would have been like and so that was very interesting about seeing her development becoming more like you said abrasive and unapologetic about it like the soup nazi moment yeah elaine um, in 1998 would have been different than that Elaine in 1992, I think it was. Somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I didn't enjoy the fat jokes. I was kind of like, we're doing I fat jokes. And I just felt like, to me, it's like, that's just lazy. It's season three, bros. We're doing fat jokes. We're doing fat jokes. We're doing fat jokes. But, but they felt like they were subverting the fat jokes because he hung out with him. Oh, right. well, yeah, because then they wins him over. But I was like, was it worth it? It's like, you could have done better. Come on. It was also like... We did have a black person yes. in the limo episode. 
<laughs> oh wait, no, the subway episode. They had the black oh, yeah, man the who was begging okay. for money because he was blind and playing the whatever violin or whatever. Yes. Yeah, then he's the cop I, at the end. In that episode, Jess also asked, "In the early '90s, were the subways that bad?" I go, "They were bad, but not that bad." It was like, I know it was. What? <laughs> like Beach Street. The next one was the limo. What'd you think about the oh. limo? Peter? What is his name? Kraus? Peter Kraus. NYU represent. Now you're gone. Yeah. It was weird because I felt like he did not do well as an actor in that scene. Because <laughs> <laughs> I kept being like, this lady's clearly a fanatical person. Yes. Why aren't you fanatical? You're meeting like somebody you guys have been waiting to meet. You're looking sullen in the back of this car. You should like, there's no reversal for you. I would have directed him better. I just felt like he was a sourpuss from the beginning. Yeah. Which shouldn't have been the case. He was I, a one note actor. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, he was not good. And then I was very shocked. By the guns. In my mind, I was like, this is too much. These people have guns on them. Like, nobody's, like, jarred by this. I was very scared. Because this is a problem, like, we now watch realistic shows where, like, if you have a gun like that, it's like Chekhov's gun. It is going to go off. Shit is about to pop off. Yeah. But now, in the sitcom, they can just have it, and it's like a wacky little, like, yep. prop. I was so afraid. I was like, do people die? No. It's no, I fell. No one dies. My one note from the limo was I wrote, finally, a black woman has lines. <laughs> I know. <laughs> the reporter. The reporter. He had to do it because he was a Nazi. He was they were Nazis, her. yeah. Yeah. So I found that one, I have to say, I was bored by that one That for me. The Contest, which we all, I think, loved the contest. And that was written by Larry David. It's, again, the word of the podcast, tight. I like the whole thing the whole way through. And again, back to our point, I think Elaine gets to be like a full woman with like wants and and ambition and agency. Yeah, it's good. It's good. And then the marine biologist we kind of talked about, um, you were saying like that woman doesn't like George and suddenly it's just showing that women like men with good jobs, I guess. Is that what That's we're That's all talking? we need. That's all we need. James. Being a podcaster, getting all the chicks. <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't. I mean, God bless Julia Louis-Dreyfus because she pulls off the idea that this woman, Elaine, believes Jerry when he says War and Peace was originally called War, what it isn't no. good for. I was like, Elaine just believes him? Like, is she just dumb? She's not dumb. That wouldn't uh, have happened in later seasons. Yeah. No, sir. Okay, so then the whole thing has to like, right, work off this idea that we're gonna also that was an episode where everyone felt like such well okay not everybody the character actor of the russian guy was so over the top and then our friend from kimmy schmidt kane is in it and then the other thing that i thought was so funny to me i don't know why i was so delighted by this was like the little palm pilot or whatever she had i was like oh my god i did have that in the 90s and i thought it was so impressive it just felt like such a throwback the only thing i thought that i truly enjoyed in the episode for me was george's kind of monologue the the, the end of the second act uh where he just you know does his whole going into the ocean with the wave. yes i was yes. like that was really funny he did such a really good job of it and you and that's something I feel like in a lot of sitcoms, you know, actors don't get full soliloquies unless yes. I've been watching Designing Women and those women do get soliloquies. But oh other, than, other than that show, you don't I see that a lot. Women. And so yeah. it's very dramatic and he does a great job with it. Then we had the Hamptons. Can I just say one more thing about the movie biology? 
I did laugh. Even though it was so ridiculous, like they're walking on the beach and they're like, we need a marine biologist. <laughs> I was just like, this is so dumb. I was tickled by it, but I was also like, this is so dumb. But the best was to have, like you said, it was a herald, a perfect herald because it was like marine biologist, so ridiculous. And then the callback of the Titleist, which was so random. But it worked all. Yes, I agree. I agree with you. That's why, to me, that was my favorite part of that. Like his monologue into the tie-up, I was in. But before that, I was like, "All right, same, same, same." same. Um, the I Hamptons, which I enjoyed. The talk about the silk underwear. We had ugly baby, oh, um, yeah. perfect body. Jerry's girlfriend that was sees George naked. Oh, that's right. We were talking about the shrinkage, and she can't eat lobster. Oh, and the pediatrician that keeps saying everything's breathtaking. Jess, you laughed at the reveal of George cooking breakfast and putting lobster in the egg. <laughs> yeah, because it was so evil. I liked it. It was so evil. I loved also Kramer waiting for her in the middle of the night. Yes, me too. And being like, and I agree with you, Haley. That to me is another great Michael Richards like because that's like a set piece, right? That's like again like a play, it right? Is. Like waiting in the dark, the light comes on, and the actor and he just plays it beautifully. Like he so well, he yeah. Carries that whole scene. That woman is fine. She's not a bad actress, but again, she's no. But like he's doing all the work. You really have to be the master of physicality. You have to be able to be in your body to be able to deliver those things on a multicam level. And if you're not doing that, it becomes even more apparent. It becomes more like glaring. That is a good point to Haley. I never thought about that. And I think that's exactly true. I think, and the last one we had, I was gonna say the last one we had to watch uh, was the soup Nazi, which again, now I guess I'm eating my own words. I thought the soup Nazi was really funny. I only had one problem with the soup Nazi. I think I know which problem you had. What was your one problem? I I, (laughs) I bet it was the same one. I think it was the same. The gay guy yes. was very jarring for me. So and I jarring. was like, I was like, why? Why is why? why? Who in the room again? I'm just sitting there like they're playing it so big. I get it's a multicam. Uh back it up, bro. This is not camp. They're piling things on. Not only are they overplaying yes. the gay tropes. They're overplaying the Latin. Yes. 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 Some sort of weird Al Pacino-esque Cuban accent. Yes. And they bring those two characters back in a, in one or two other episodes. Oh, I no. Think, oh, no. That's unfortunate. And it reminds me of the story that <laughs> Jess referenced uh, when we were watching it about Danny Hawk. Talks about- Jails. I'll find it because I saw him yes. in New York. He's one of the best one-person shows I've ever seen. Yeah, it's called Jails, Hospitals, and Hip Hop. And it was one of the best things that I thought at PS122 in New York- he was phenomenal. Yeah, they brought him in to play a, a Latinx character. And Danny Hawk is not Hispanic. No. He's not Latinx. And so he was like, no. I'm not going to play. It was a pool boy or something. And he was like, I'm not going to play a pool boy with but an accent. Is- He's like, and he said to them, why does, I'm actually funny. I don't know why I have to do this accent. And they kept being like, well, that makes it funnier. And again, I just sit there and go, well, this this is the problem, right? When you don't have diversity in the room. Uh, and this is the thing right. that's so frustrating because Danny Hawk is brilliant. Yes. Sarah Jones is brilliant. Yes. But you don't hear these people as like main, you know what I'm saying? Like yes. they're not household names for people. Like no. you have to have been in New York in the that's 90s right. seeing these that's people's right. shows and be devotees that you're yes. still talking about them like 30 years later. Yeah, it's true. The show was, uh, that show was, uh, it changed me. I was like, I want to yes. be that. I want to be that person. 
I mean, and I don't have the facility to be that. Like I'm not putting, let's not putting myself down. I have a lot of great talents, but, (laughs) but like that kind of facility with accents and just inhabiting people. Like, I, I mean, go see it. I think you can probably watch it. I'm sure it's somewhere. No, I've seen it. It, It's fantastic. But the other thing I wanted to say too, is like, I also felt it was disingenuous to New Yorkers. I agree. We don't do stuff like no, that. No, we if don't. There's an armoire on the side, that's and right. you see a guy sitting next to it. You we would all never know take. That that's that person. You would never take no, it. No, and I and I felt like personally offended as someone who lived in New York for a long time. Like that's not how we would like go down. Like I was just like, this is giving us a bad rap. It's or, giving like, us a bad rap. Back rap. I guess kept being like, it's one of your jokes that they're gay. Yeah. And that is and that he has an accent. what's wrong with you. Yeah. And the other joke is that he's Latin. And then I felt like, oh, are we covering it up because they're tough guys? So it's okay because they scare our two white leads. Like the yeah. fact that we don't make them weak, it makes it an okay joke. It's mm-hmm. not okay. I just want to say the whole episode was so great. It felt like, why did you put this? You don't need this. This is just lazy and it's offensive and you don't need it. Well, I think as people who lived in New York in the 90s, as it was coming out of the struggles that it had in the 70s and 80s, the more accurate depiction of them hijacking that armoire would have just been two guys who just are like, this is nice. We should take this. Wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. This is for my friend. Yeah. I'm going to take this. That's, That's a much more That's New York thing really. where somebody is like so confident in their ability yes. to dominate this situation that yeah. if you need it to go farther, they'll go there. But they're just going to start by saying, I'm taking this. You can choose how to react to this, but this is going to be mine. Yeah. I've seen things like that much more than the weird cartoonish circus-like depiction that they threw at us out of nowhere. Yeah. And you're so right, because can I just say they had that. In the subway episode. Yes. When Kramer yes. gets his money at the bookie, dude just rolls. And that's very plausible. I was like, you left with a lot of money. And this guy, he looks like he's going to take your money. Yeah. But And they didn't need to do all of the theatrics for it. I watched The Strike because I love Jerry Stiller. Jerry Stiller is like, I just adore him. And none of these episodes had enough of Jerry Stiller. So James is like, you should watch The Strike because that's the one that's about Festivus, which I had always heard of, Festivus for the rest of us. And it does not disappoint, except in that I wish there was more Jerry Stiller. Everyone is fine and great in it. Jerry Stiller, to me, is the best thing on the show. I'm like, how do you not use Jerry Stiller more? I love him. And I'm going to say something controversial. King of Queens not Seinfeld. I get it. I would watch that show any day of the week over Seinfeld. It makes me laugh every time. And I think it makes me laugh. I love King of Queens too. Because Gary Stiller is phenomenal on the show. And Kevin James, Uh, he is really funny. And he's a really funny actor. And Leah Remini is It's just a really strong cast. Anyways, Jerry Stiller. Victor is also. Love him. I love Jerry Stiller. I wanted more of it. I was told to watch the Serenity Now one, which we were trying to watch, and then our internet went out. In the King of Queens, they kind of plucked Jerry Stiller out of Seinfeld and had him do a gentler, friendlier version. Yes. Of George's dad. In Seinfeld, he's so rage-filled. He's so funny. He's so irrational. That's part of what is utterly hilarious about it. They have a few episodes where he's featured prominently that are very funny. They let him do his 
thing rhythmically, comedically, but drew out the anger. So it wasn't so I feel like the Seinfeld show can hold that odd, angry guy yeah. in in check within that world. And King of Queens, it would have been an aberration. I just love And him. he's a theater guy. Yes. And it just proves that. Yeah, yeah. And he's paid his dues doing the two person show with he and his wife. And so he's he's performed in many different realms and venues. And so, exactly. again. Seinfeld as an actor, as we all know, and he's, he, he has said also in many an interview, I'm not an actor. He surrounded himself with really Why good writing. Why did he writing. do the B movie? Sorry. He's apparently fascinated by actual bees. He has a bit on one of the episodes of Comedians in Cars. I think he's talking to John Mulaney and he says, I love bees because they all know their role. The queen knows her role. The drones know their world. <laughs> so he became obsessed with bees and he talks about the B movie in way too many episodes of Comedians in Cars. It's like, <laughs> we're not getting on board the B movie. Do you think it's on the spectrum? Like the way he's just talking about it. I just saw Love on the Spectrum and now I'm like looking for everyone who's on the spectrum <laughs> because I love that show so much. And so I was like, gosh, his specificity about the bees. He also will talk about specificity, as you mentioned earlier, with word choices in a joke. He says, you know, if the punchline is, you know, this sequence of words, it's not funny. But if I take out that one word, now it's funny again. Yes. Yes. And again, like, yes, that's why he is Jerry Seinfeld. That's why Seinfeld exists. So in the last two seasons of that show, Larry David had left and it becomes a different show. And oh, Seinfeld really? has also talked about his affinity for Abbott and Costello. And you can see he takes on more of a Bud Abbott to everybody else being Lou Costello. And it has a different tone and a different feel than the the specific thing that Larry David brings to the show. And I think, you know, that combination of those two people, one who's sort of very mainstream and very public pleasing and Larry David, who famously as a standup would come out and start his, his set. And if the audience didn't laugh at his first joke, he'd say, forget it. You're not worth it. And he would walk off. So comedians, will tell, yes, comedians will tell stories about when you followed Larry David, you had to be right there because you never knew if he was going to do his 20 minutes or if he's going to leave after two minutes. Wow. He's, he's really kind of fascinating because he also, the HBO special that be, then became Curb Your Enthusiasm, he does some of his original stand-up stuff. And one of my favorite things is he says, sorry for doing Larry David's act not as well as he would, but he says it must have been really tough to be a magician for Adolf Hitler. And then he goes to imitate Adolf Hitler, demanding that you show you how you did that magic trick. Such a strange approach to what's funny, I think mixed with Jerry's very middle of the road approach to what's funny is makes that show at its best makes it very interesting and, and funny. Yeah. I, yeah. Agreed. He's worth $400 million. I just looked at Oof, Bless. He's 73 years old. I didn't realize wow. he was that uh, old. Which one? That Seinfeld or Larry David? Larry oh, David. For both of you being essentially new to Seinfeld and now having binged it, has your opinion about it? Has it filled out? Has it changed? Has it, you know, wh where are you now in your assessment of Seinfeld that is maybe different than where you were before? I'm glad I watched it because, and I'm glad that we had this, you know, last one to the party to kind of make me watch it because honestly, I would never have watched it on my own. It just didn't pique my interest. And I also felt like, oh, I missed that boat and I don't miss it. And, it, and I think part of why is what I said at the beginning is because it was so omnipresent that you could get away like with it, like I did for years of not watching it and still know a lot of the jokes. 
because it's such a huge hit that it was just in the air. So you would just know, like I knew about the puffy shirt, like I knew about the soup Nazi with never, without ever watching it. So that's how big of a hit, right? It is. And like, and, and why it's like this huge show, like, right. I can't even think of the words like this phenomenon, phenomenon juggernaut. Right. And after watching it, um, I, I'm going to chime back with, to what I think you said and to Haley said of like, this is not a show that was meant to be binged. I think if I watched it once a week, I would be like, Oh, okay. That was fine. Or that one was really funny. Would I go back and watch it again? Probably not. If it was on TV, I'm not going to stay on that channel. And not because I didn't like it, just because it's like we live in a world of so much TV. It's just not like I just started watching the Golden Girls again from the very beginning. And I told James, I love it. I love watching those women. I think they are incredible. They're all insanely brilliant. And there are really hard jokes in there. It's on Hulu. I would watch that show. Any day. And I would I start watching like- Designing Women not as tight, my word of the day, and not strong. as strong. However, they always give one of those women, I think it's back to what you said to Haley, listen, they're all white women again, but they give one of these white women a monologue that makes me cry. And that's what I want to feel. So maybe it's because my, what I love, I want to feel something. And I know that's not always comedy. And Seinfeld is about being quick and witty and funny and not about feeling. And I think that's probably why at the end of the day, I would not go back to it. Not because it's not great. Just for me, subjectively, it doesn't hit my sweet spot where I'm like, I want to feel something. Literally, their mantra was no learning, no feeling. In the 80s, there were so many shows where you would learn something. And Cosby subverted that a little bit. And you learned it early on where Theo has that speech about, maybe I'm not going to do good in school. Maybe I'm going to be a bus driver. And you you love me for who I am, Dad. And you hear the audience start to do that knee-jerk thing of, oh, tender moment, learning moment, acceptance. (laughs) That's the stupidest thing. And everybody erupts. Because it's such a subversion of it. And they can continue that, I think, a little bit of of subverting the learning and the caring and the sharing stuff. But they do care, but they don't do it in the cheesy, smalty way that you've come to expect. The family ties, which I did like, but family ties was a little subversive. You know, the more schmaltzier shows. What I would say about my takeaways from Jerry Seinfeld, as a person who intends on creating shows herself, is like, can I make a show that's still going to hold up 30 years from now? I was like watching, like, what does that mean? Like, how how do you ensure that? I don't know. I felt like watching it, two things happened for me. One, I recognize that this is probably their worlds and their lives without a lane. It was probably like the pilot, Jerry, George, Kramer, like that's their lives. And so I just started to see, I thought that that was just so interesting how these people can be like, yep, our lives are interesting and we don't necessarily need to feel like we have to see more or we owe it to anybody else. We just want this to happen. And then, you know, later they got the note to bring in a lady and then the, that lady became Elaine and iconic and just so pivotal to the show. So I think about it in like this kind of bigger scope of like, what am I bringing to the table as a creator? It's just interesting, like how I would feel personal responsibility to want to do these things, like have a message, have a legacy. But this show was like, no, we want to just have fun. And, and they were totally comfortable with that. And because of that, they had so many like, iconic moments, but then also simultaneously maybe have alienated people like me and Jess back in the day. I don't know. I'm just looking at it in 
these different ways, I guess. Well, I will say I'm pleasantly surprised and, and interested and fascinated at how much was able to stand out even with the things in that show that don't hold up, you know, when Jess is talking about the writing is tight and realizing that all of that stuff. And for me, that was the appeal of it. So for me, golden girls is not a show I'm going to watch because I don't, I don't care for the humor that's on the show. I don't think the jokes are that great for me. They're great. But I do recognize. Have you seen golden girls? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They don't. I mean, sometimes it's terrifically funny. Sometimes the mother gets off great one-liners Rue McClanahan gets, I mean, they they each have their moments, but which is what I was getting to is they're all such consummate heavyweights yeah. that that's what carries that show. I think if that's you true. put four different lesser actors in that show, that show doesn't last two, three seasons. Tops. Maybe. B. Arthur is killing it every time she gives that deadpan oh, to any one it. of them. Do you know what I mean? And they all just have such immaculate timing. And it was so interesting that, you know, the lore of it is that Betty White had come off of Mary Tyler Moore show where she played the sex kitten and Rue McClanahan had come off of um, Maude where she played the ditzy one. And they actually wanted them to repeat those types and they reversed it. They both said, I don't want to do that again. And it's genius to watch them in both those prior shows and then Golden Girls and have them basically just nail it either way. Like, that to me is the strength of that show is is those performers carry that. Yes. I need to watch that. I want to watch them Hulu. The reverse, like you just said. Yeah, I'm going to do that. Because I had watched Mary Tyler Moore, Moore show. And that's also, how do you guys feel about that? We always watched Mary Tyler Moore. And so my memory of it is that it's great. But I don't know if it watched it now, if I would still feel the same way. Yeah, I started watching a few because it's, it's on Hulu. I did watch the pilot and the pilot, like Jess likes to say, is tight. <laughs> tight in that all of the things fit. Like, yeah. like uh-huh, uh-huh, and this is the theme. And then, but I think about that, like, is that fun? Like to know if it's t- so tight? Because like now we have pilots that are a little messier. That's been fun too. And so it's just been interesting to be like, what is the new convention we're doing? Sometimes I watch these t- pilots, like like how all of us were geeking out on like the marine biology thing where it's like so perfectly crafted and then there's such a payoff and a callback and the perfect thing and how because we're human beings that love patterns and rhythms and stuff like there's something very satisfying to that. But then over time, can that feel like repetitive and formulaic and that's not what we're trying to do it's, I don't know. It's been very interesting. Well, again, I think if you binge it, you become so aware of those patterns yeah. that it becomes predictable. But if you're watching it once a week, you've had time to sort of forget. Yes. You know, there's that there's that old adage of, and, and I heard it again at Jazz Alert in relation to jazz, that you want to play something that doesn't constantly surprise because the audience will get confused. You don't want to play something that constantly where you're finishing phrases where the audience expects it because they're going to get bored. So you have to have a good 50-50, 60-40 mix, 40-60 mix of surprising the audience, but also then giving them what they want. So they stay stay appeased, but they also stay curious. Yes. Okay, I see the secret to your marriage. (laughs) 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 
If you'd like to follow Jessica online, you can find her on Instagram at Jessica underscore Elena underscore Eason. And Elena is E-L-A-I-N-A. Jessica underscore Elena underscore Eason. You can follow me on Instagram at James underscore Eason underscore music. The show is produced and edited by me, James Eason, and the theme music is composed by me, James Eason. (laughs) Thank you.